It all began in 1899 at the Moulin Rouge in France, where a young dwarf man appeared to me. How do you do? My name is Henri Toulouse-Lautrec, and you are watching Moulin Rouge. It's in the basket, the writer's bagel basket. Here's a couple of acres. Sorry, Jeff. You lose. Do Professor Plum. I said Plum. The men you seek think you are dead, Kimosabe. We're going to pass to the start of the Bernoulli Convergenator. If he puts a car in fifth gear, he can jumpstart the whole thing. We don't have to be mean. Because remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Welcome Riders Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kurland, and I am coming from you, uh, coming to you. Apparently, I'm having a stroke again. <laughs> uh, from, uh, would you call this the headquarters of uh, Zero Science Network? Uh, one of, yeah. Uh, my, my guest is one of the hosts of Old Men Yell at Clouds and Nickelbacking, Mr. Christopher Brown. Hello. Uh, thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. So Happy we- to watch this steaming pile of shit (laughs) (laughs) so so what we're doing is we're going back and forth from snubble up a dub dub movies that were snubbed for oscars and we started with lee um so i i was talking to lee i can't do a lee impression so my impression of lee is going to be dennis miller so so i I said to lee i was like uh i want to do another Boz lerman movie and you Mm, want that sounds about right and he's like and he's like no babe can't do that babe (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad uh, we're, we're not going with my imitation because uh, the little bit I did there made him sound kind of like Sling Blade. <laughs> <laughs> French fry for data. No, and I was like, I was like uh, who, who, who would do this? And he's like, yeah, get Chris Brown, babe. <laughs> he's going to kill me for that. Excellent. Um, so uh, I have a hate-hate relationship with Boz Lerman. Like, I hate that I love him. I love that I hate him. But I just hate him. Uh, what are your feelings towards uh, Bosmark, uh, which I believe is the name of his company? I it, it's just <laughs> the most pretentious bullshit. <laughs> so so as I as I start saying, so we did Snubble Up a Dub Dub, a movie that was snubbed, and we're going to alternate all through Ooh. award season until the end of February. I mean, not the end of February, the end of January. Um, for so this is this was nominated. That that's what. I'm going to do movies that I can't believe were nominated, and some of them won. Well, this is interesting because um, at that year's Academy Awards, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was discussing the Best Director nominees, and apparently Boz did not get the nod for it. Good. Well, her response was, I guess Moulin Rouge just directed itself. Yeah. Like, this is is my problem with Whoopi when she hosts the Oscars. Like, she, she is the type of everyone should get a nomination like everyone deserves a trophy person (laughs) (laughs) and like that was the year of uh, gladiator and um castaway 
Man, what an abysmal year. Like, I don't know if you're a fan of those movies, but... Castaway not... is the only... Okay, so I, I'm not proud to admit this. I do like Castaway only because of Tom Hanks. Because um, I've met Tom Hanks and Zemeckis twice, and they were both really nice to me. So it, it's all based on if someone's nice to me. But <laughs> but I, I had a friend who worked for Boz Lerman as a PA uh, on... Uh, oh, my God. What was that? Awful... F. Scott Fitzgerald, Great Gatsby. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, he did and, that, I forgot. And they're like, it was chaos. Like, Boz, I guess, is nice, but he's nice in the way of like, oh, thank you for bringing me this thing that I asked for. Like, actually, I should do the Australian <laughs> accent. <laughs> oh, thanks for bringing me this thing that I asked for 20 minutes ago. No, <laughs> like, like, he's that type of person, so... Um, <laughs> And that's not the thing I asked for 20 minutes ago. Oh, this oh, is the thing I asked for 20 minutes hey, ago. <laughs> so, so uh, Moulin Rouge is the first up for this was nominated because I have written down Chris, it, uh, Chris or Christopher. Either. <laughs> it was nominated for eight Oscars, 12 BAFTAs and seven Golden Globes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, not going to lie here. Golden Globes and BAFTAs uh, to me are kind of like, those are like the participation awards of uh, of, a, of awards season in, um, uh, in my book. I, I feel that way about the Gotham Awards and the Golden Globes. BAFTAs, in my opinion, were like the first because they were the first Academy and they were the first ones to do it. So I feel like that's just grandpa. So that's why I'm not shocked when this got nominated because like they nominated Kenneth Branagh last year like four times for Murder on the Orient Express. So like interesting. So I consider the Baptist like grandma going like, oh here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like oh he he did Shakespeare and he did Frankenstein. He can do no wrong with Brana. What is that Brana or Boz Lerman? Because he did the same thing. He did Shakespeare and he did well. This is a weird Frankenstein. Wait, like, he did a Frankenstein? He he was him and Danny Boyle. He did the set design for Danny Boyle's Frankenstein. Which is actually pretty good, but the set design isn't bad. Like, Boz Lerman, visually, like, he should have stayed in theater, because that's what he is. His yeah. background was musical theater. Oh, really? I could not tell. <laughs> <laughs> what, you couldn't tell with everything being very homoerotic French and on fire and wet? In <laughs> <laughs> very tight sets, even when it's supposed to be, like, a really big area, like, everything feels really claustrophobic. Oh, yeah, and... So, we must get the entire thing in this tiny camera. <laughs> so if you, the people, aren't familiar with Moulin Rouge, it was a film that came out in the uh, May of 2000 or 2001. No, May of 2000. Um, it came out the same weekend as Mission Impossible 2, and they both tied for like first and second. Like for three weeks, they alternated. Interesting. And I was like, this movie? Yeah, I wonder if that had anything. So I, I think Mission Impossible Two would have been the clear winner if if people hadn't have legally downloaded that Metallica song from it. That really, I think, killed Mission Impossible's opening weekend. And Lars Ulrich will surely agree. <laughs> well, also they were uh, illegally downloading um, what's his name's uh, uh, Fred Durst Limp Biscuits. Uh, oh God, yeah, yeah. Take a look had, around. Is that what it was called? I sure. <laughs> I play backgammon, and I'm a horrible person. Like. So this film is the third film, or as they call it, the most triumphant vision of Baz Luhrmann. That's what one of the Wikipedia articles said. Okay. And well, so I, I don't, I don't want to take that away from him because if I feel like he actually got his vision across here, whether or not it's enjoyable for <laughs> <Did he>? us, 
I feel like he did what he wanted to. Well, I feel like he did what his wife wanted him to. His wife won an Oscar for this. She's the she's the production designer. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's Kathy okay. uh, Garland, whatever the hell. That I, three I long name. I don't know why, but immediately I just assumed Najimi. <laughs> she's Kathy and Jimmy. Bash. Bash. Bye bye. Peggy Hill. <laughs> I was in Hocus Pocus, you know. <laughs> I I just picture her sounding like Peggy Hill, like in her real life. <laughs> Kathy and Jimmy. But uh, yeah, his wife designed all the sets. And like she won the Oscar for costume and production design because she designed all the, the sets and all the costumes. And he was the one who was like, let's speed everything up and make it look like everyone's on cocaine. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, there is... Uh, I think I have a note in here somewhere. I have so many notes oh, about too. this particular film. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, at one point I had a note that just said, stop speeding up the film, Boz. <laughs> <laughs> this was nominated for best editing. Oh. This was nominated for best <laughs> fucking editing. Like, like is, I mean, yeah, I guess the editor is is behind that all those speed ups and everything. Well, yeah, and I just I picture I feel bad for the editor. I feel like like Boz Lerman was in the the edit bay going like it should be faster, and the guy's like, "Did you watch BoJack Horseman?" Uh yes, I have seen it. Yeah. Uh, Patton Oswalt's character as Pe- uh, Peppy the Penguin. The yep. I'm like like no, but but Boz, <laughs> if, if we speed it up, then it's not going to make sense. No, you got to just keep it. No, no, we speed it up. We speed it up. And then they evolve into Kiff from Futurama. Uh, <sighs> yes, oh, you bastard. Uh, the Australian wants to see you in his dressing room. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, Baz Luhrmann stink about this. Um, if you look at this and Romeo plus Juliet, that we did that uh, two episodes ago. <laughs> yes, I listened to it. Uh, if if you if you look at these side by side, they are actually sort of sibling films in a lot of ways. I am so glad you mentioned that because that song in here, "Come What May," yep, was supposed to be for that. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it wasn't nominated. Like if that was nominated for best song, it would have won that year. Yeah, that's so weird how movies are. Uh, that's like a requirement that it has to be like written for it, even if it hasn't been released. Because, um, happened to Radiohead too, um, because they wanted to put out that song uh, Man of War for Spectre, the Spectre one, and yeah, and um, and like, the, the Bond people were like, "No, that's not original. You need to write an original song so we can get an Oscar." <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. And Tom York rolled his good eye and. They they wrote a song and the oh, people poor, didn't use it. I feel like like they should have casted Tom York in Casino Royale as Lachif. Like he would <laughs> they wouldn't have had to do the makeup for like they did for Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. <laughs> hey hey Tom, can you look here? Tom Tom is he looking at me? <laughs> I think he's looking at me. Um, so so yeah, uh, I have my first note is uh, that's not how you conduct an orchestra <laughs> for the fanfare. When I saw the conductor at the beginning, uh, I said aloud, oh, Jesus. Did you think it was Michael Stipe? Because at first I thought... <laughs> no, I did not. I thought, well, like, like this is this is up Michael Stipe's alley. Like, this is very, very outgoing. This is very eccentric. If you saw what he did, uh, when Danny DeVito hosted SNL and mm-hmm. he and R.E.M. was the musical guest, they had him as the, the gay fairy of <laughs> Christmas for Mango. Okay. And, like... He looked exactly like the guy the conductor looked like okay. to a T. So I'm like, is that is that Michael Stipe? Because this was the year he started producing movies. Yeah, yeah, no, um, 
Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I did not think it was Michael Stipe. I just saw some some poor guy over there just really, really earning his uh, earning his keep. I watched this movie twice. Actually, I should say two in like barely a quarter times because I watched it the first time, didn't take any notes. I let it wash over me like a fever dream. <laughs> and and then I started to watch it with like the descriptive um, commentary and visual. Like they show you how they did the green screen stuff. Oh, and God. like five five seconds in, like they started with the fanfare and then with Johnny Legs as Toulouse in the green screen. I'm like, okay, turning this off. Like, <laughs> like it like just started overwhelming me. I knew if I kept watching it like 20 minutes and I would just be like convulsing and like shaking. <laughs> yeah, I thought that that was an interesting choice, uh, hiring Leguizamo, who, don't get me wrong, I love John Leguizamo. Uh, he, he lights up any screen that he is on. But I, I found it interesting that they hired him to play a little person when there were plenty of little people actors in this film uh, who did not have lines. Mini Mimi is in this from the Drew Carey show. The, oh, interesting. The actor, she's the one who knocks out a uh, uh, bald, skinny, fat James Gandolfini hitman guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I called him uh, not Principal Strickland. Oh, I have a story for you about Principal Strickland. Uh, he, he goes to uh, conventions. He goes to Comic-Cons just to meet people to call them slackers, and he has them like pay him five bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's also the nicest guy. He's like, you want to talk about Back to the Future, don't you? I was like, I actually want to talk about Masters of the Universe. <laughs> and he looks shocked. He's like, what is this? Is this fucking happening? <laughs> Am like, I being punked? He's like, give me 10 bucks and I'll call you a slacker. You said it was five. You mentioned Masters of the Universe. The price goes up. <laughs> That's actually very good. <laughs> yeah, um, fair play. I'm, I'm into it. Uh, yeah, so Johnny Legs. To me, him and him and Broadbent, Jim Broadbent, are like the two best things in this movie. Yes, yes. And the casting originally for Toulouse, uh, originally, without even having to audition, uh, Boz was going to cast him as the Argentinian. Obviously, was going to cast John Leguizamo as the Argentinian, and that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, sure. The people who auditioned for Toulouse Lautrec were Elijah Wood. Oh man. And this was the same time as as uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, the Lord of the Rings movie would have come out a year after this. Uh, uh, Elijah Wood auditioned for Toulouse. Um, oh, my God. Uh, David Johansson. Uh, of the of New, New York, York Dolls. Dolls. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I would love to see David Johansson as Toulouse Lautrec. Oh, listen here, buddy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Can I wear my costume from Scrooge? <laughs> Uh, the weirdest people wanted to be this. I think Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, um, like the list. If you it, if you go into the trivia, it is crazy. The people who auditioned for Toulouse and Johnny Legs was like, "I'll do it." Things aren't always as they seem. Things are exactly the way they seem. Kristen, you may see me only as a drunken, vice-ridden gnome whose friends are just pimps and girls from the brothels. But I know about art and love. If only because I long for it with every fiber of my being. She loves you. I know it. I know she loves you. 
I mean, no uh, no fault on the other actors, but I think that uh, Leguizamo was the correct call for this uh, particular juncture. Did, did you get the impression that Leguizamo was, after a while, became the child of Christian and Satine? Like, became, like... Because, <laughs> like, every scene, it's like, oh, we're playing with Johnny Legs in the bed, and he, we're chasing him around the room, and we're tickling him, and it's like... Yeah, Mom? and this this is this is not a play on him being a little person in it, more of uh, just the idea of him being a child, but I can imagine him like running up to them, I want ups! <laughs> <laughs> Christian, pull me up! Up, daddy! <laughs> yeah, uh, Broadbent, um, I felt bad for him throughout this, because um, I felt bad for him, I felt I felt bad for everyone who was in this, uh, for the most part, because the, um, the, they were probably sold a, a something that they did not sign up for. I don't feel bad for McGregor or Nicole Kidman. Um, That's fair. She got nominated for all of the Oscars. I kind of feel bad for Ewan McGregor because he didn't get nominated for anything. Yeah, Mark Renton deserves better than this. Uh, but Broadman, <laughs> he, he got over heroin. Come on. <laughs> Twice. Broadbent, uh, a weird thing about him that I noticed throughout this. Um, oh, there's the heater. Uh, whenever he starts singing in this, he sounds exactly like the guy from Gogo Bordello. Uh, Eugene Hoots. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> second time he's come up. Uh, Interesting. Uh, because when I did the Corey Feldman episode of Jukebox Zeros, yeah. we, we said that uh, we picture everyone in Romania at Corey's concert is either Borat or Eugene Hoots. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, Broadbent. I, I felt bad for him because he was the only person. Like, him and Johnny Legg should have been nominated for Oscars. Like, like. If anyone in this movie deserved a nomination, because I couldn't believe this movie got nominated, but for the people who were la actually like working really hard on this movie, Johnny Legs and and Jim Broadbent, like those two brought it. Um, the, they 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 really brought their A game to um, to a, a C minus of a movie. <laughs> oh wow, you're being that kind and saying C minus. <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, for all the wrongs this movie had, um, it, it did do a lot of things right. Um, and by that, I mean, just like, again, I, I think that it, it achieved what it was going for. So okay. it, it, it pulled off like the set design. It pulled off like the campiness was definitely supposed to be there. Um, it's tough to watch because it's like Saved by the Bell humor uh, oh, through yeah. a lot of it. But it's uh -huh. that's like, an insult to Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I love I love uh, when I was the five seconds I was listening to the commentary, like, uh, Boz Lerman said, we got a note from uh, the uh, the studio that we were going to get an R NC-17 if we included the crotchless uh, panties for the can-can dancers to make it Moulin Rouge uh, authentic. And I was like, well, duh. Yeah, it, that's interesting that that's surprising to him. <laughs> what we wanted to do was show full female genitalia in this film. And not just female. <laughs> he wanted to show dudes, too. We wanted to show... All genitalia on screen in this film, but the ratings board, they just, they gave us hell over this, and I, I don't understand it. A movie about, you know, I just wanted to make a PG-13 version of, you know, prostitution. Wait, is this PG-13? This is PG-13. Oh, interesting. And, like, maybe that's why they sped it up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's possible. Well, like, like this is the example, uh, one of my notes is, is Ewan McGregor's character the first man to ever fall in love with a hooker? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, that's why that's the crux of this film. It's showing the first one. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like he, he's like he's all about. Oh, I just want to know what love is. I don't know what love is. Oh, I've never been in love. I want to be in love. 
It also seems like the first time he's genuinely seen like a woman. <laughs> Besides his like mother. Yeah, like, exactly. Like he's just like, oh, okay. I I've seen a woman now, so I know what love is. Like he just seems so naive, and like he has been, like he's been blue bearded his whole life. Like he's just been <laughs> locked away in a room. Now and... that you've seen the bodies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so he manages to escape his room in England, and he heads over to France to become a writer, um, and he has no idea what love is, and then he sees a woman, and he's like, oh, okay, I guess this is love. What if he saw Mini-Mimi first? What if he saw the... Oh, that would be that would be pretty dope. <laughs> if the whole movie was about him falling in love with a dwarf prostitute. <laughs> I feel like there would be less drama, because um, the guy that... I kept calling him uh, Carson Kressley, uh, the bad guy in this, because oh, he looks like dude? Carson Kressley from the original Queer Eye. Yeah, uh, that's Richard Roxburgh, who yeah, yeah, yeah. is... He was Dracula and Van Helsing. Oh, excellent. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I kept, like, I don't think that Carson Kressley would have been pursuing her uh, to quite the same extent that he was pursuing Nicole Kidman. Well, So well, there, there would have been less of a story. Yeah, if that was the case about uh, uh, Ewan McGregor falling in love with um, uh, a small prostitute. <laughs> um Mini Mimi. I'm just going to call her Mini Mimi because it's the actress who played Mini Mimi on Drew Carey Show. Was that La, Pit- uh, La Petite Princess? Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like this movie would have been directed by Dario Argento. <laughs> <laughs> There's something weirdly winchy in about this film. <laughs> oh, hey. Um, I would have given good money to have David Lynch direct this movie. Oh, my God. Can you just imagine a David Lynch musical? <laughs> All right, so what we're going to do is we're not going to have any music here, but everyone is going to be dancing. David, that's what you've done for the past 60 minutes of this film. Yeah, but, yep. <laughs> but I have Kyle MacLachlan here. And Laura Dern. Can you believe it? Laura Dern. <laughs> well, yeah, that's who you always cast. You always cast those two. So um, get a, get a trivia question for you here, mm-hmm. actually. So I, I was doing a little bit of research into this when I was trying to not watch the movie. And um, there are two characters in this who are based on real people. And I know that you know who one of them is. Yeah. And that's Leguizamo's uh, Toulouse, um, who was an artist in real life. But in yeah. this, what the hell? He's an actor. He's a producer. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's more than just an actor. Yeah. Um, he's a little boy. Do you know who the other person based on a real char- a real life person well, was? Well, Jim Broadbent's character is supposedly based on Charles Zidler. But the family would not the the estate of Zidler would not uh, allow what's his name to to use the name after they read the script. So um, he may be based on a real person, but there's another person who is in this another character in this film who has the name likeness and oh please tell me it's the Duke career of a real person. It is not the Duke. Uh, no, it is Le Petoman, uh, which is the stage name of Joseph Puhol. Uh, Puhol. Uh, P- it's spelled P-U-J-O-L, uh, who was a French flatulist, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> so he goes on stage and he just farts? <laughs> yep, he farts on command. Um, which one was he? Uh, he was played by Keith Robinson. I don't know who the hell he was, but I was looking through the cast list, and he was the only other one with a Wikipedia page, like the only other character name. <laughs> so I pursued it, and it's like, it's great, because if you ever see his picture, he's this mustachioed man with like a um, kind of like a George Clooney haircut in like an old-timey <laughs> picture, holding up one finger, and it's like he's saying, one second, I need to poop. I'll spin my iPad around for you right here. <laughs> oh my god, he looks, he looks like Daniel Day-Lewis uh, from There Will Be Blood. <laughs> now I have a fart. And you have a fart, and yep. I take my fart, and I <laughs> Do you have a fart in you? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now now I think I know which guy he is. If that's what he looked like, 
I think it's the guy at the beginning who leads off the the when they do the smells like Teen Spirit, um, Lady Marmalade. Yeah, oh god. I, I think he's the the head of of the male dancer. But they never had any like farting in this. <laughs> See, that would have been like the perfect like thing before the actual play starts when they start doing the play, like <laughs> <It's just silence. laughs> like like a Pixar short. <laughs> Like he's like a Mr. Bean type of. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> like they have like a fake church service going on, and he's just like trying to get in, and you just hear. <laughs> he's just farting, like well, uh, a priest is trying to conduct a service. Um, yeah, that's 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 pretty good. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I just it blows my mind that like they're. They pull, obviously, some inspiration from real people uh, where they could. They uh, have a few out-and-out real people in this. Yeah. And then they have one character who is randomly based on a real person who's a professional farter, and they don't involve (laughs) that. They don't involve it whatsoever. It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know he's there. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that was like a studio note? And and they're like, hey, boss, can we get rid of the farting? There's too much farting in this movie. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I would be curious to see if that was in deleted scenes. There's no deleted scenes on the I so it was cheaper for me to buy this than rent it from Vudu. Okay, so it was five bucks to buy the Blu-ray and it was four ninety nine plus tax to rent it. Oh, dog! It was a buck on um, Amazon. Oh, Amazon Prime. Oh, you lucky duck. Um, yeah. As the, the some of my notes are like spectacular. Spectacular is the worst name even for eight, the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds for the name of a play. Spectacular. Yes. That that's like the name that a child would come up with. Mommy, Daddy, come see my show. It's called Spectacular. Spectacular. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the play in the backyard. Um, what the thing that really bothers me about that particular number. Uh, is the fact that it is the only piece of music from this entire goddamn movie that has been stuck in my head ever since I watched this whole fucking thing. Yeah, but I can't remember any of the words. Me neither. I was telling my wife that earlier, and she was just like, oh, no, I can remember some of the words. And I was like, no, let's go make coffee. Let's do that instead of remembering the words. This movie sucks. Also, another note I have is I can't believe that all the girls in my middle school and high school when I was like 14 years old, 13 years old, were in love with Hugh McGregor because he is such a little bitch boy. <laughs> well, again, it's it's he's got that like naivete of like someone who's been locked up for a while. I, I do think that that is a valid fan theory for this film is that he escaped. He didn't travel to France. He escaped to France. Well, when they showed the stuff with his dad, that was supposed to be another musical number. That was supposed okay. to be Cat Stevens' father and son. And Cat Stevens, they, uh, Boz Lerman sent him the script, and he's like, it's my favorite song. I would love for you to just give us your blessing. And he read it, and he's like, no way in hell. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> it, it, so I would call bullshit then on the fact that there's no deleted scenes, because I guarantee that was filmed. Because uh, part of the reason that this film took so long to come out was because he was securing the rights to all the, f- all the songs that are used in it. Right. So that was probably filmed. That probably exists somewhere. Yeah. Like Boz has that on a hard drive oh, somewhere and every now definitely. and then he pulls it out and like watches it on his laptop so, and so sobs. Like, these deleted scenes have to be like like almost like a snuff film like we will you can watch them but you're going to have to kill yourself after <laughs> cuz you can't tell anyone what you saw. 
Yeah, it's like the sort of thing that there are like VHS copies of it, and like each one has like an imperfection at a certain time. So if it leaks to the internet, Boz knows who the leaker was and can take legal action. <laughs> Um, another thing that I noted about this, uh, just kind of an observation, um, this film, I think, is the exact middle ground between Romeo plus Juliet and Batman and Robin. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't disgrace it that much with saying Batman and Robin. I would maybe go Batman forever. I mean, because this movie's bad, but it's not Batman and Robin bad. But the thing that it has in common with that is that Batman and Robin, um, with that, Schumacher was going to make a live-action cartoon. That is what he set out to do. And I feel like that's a lot of what we're seeing here is is live-action cartoon. Like, there's cartoon sound effects throughout. She does the Woody Woodpecker when she's trying to seduce the Duke. She's like, woo, woo. Well, I mean, is that not how you seduce people? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my next note is Nicole Kidman barks too much in this movie. Like, like she's barking like uh, when she's talking to the audience when they first introduce her and she's like, this young man who she thinks is the Duke and it's Ewan McGregor because you have to have that mistaken identity. Kill yourself. Uh, like, <laughs> like basically, I felt like I was going to die every time. <laughs> every time like I, I noticed them like foreshadowing through the, the play within the play, I was like, I, the king is dead. Long live the king. <laughs> um, but when she she's like, this young man won't dance with me. Roar, roar, roar. I was like, what the hell? Um, one thing I was disappointed in is um, obviously this is not a subtle film um, in any way, shape or form. Oh, I thought it was very subtle as oh. a brick through the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously we know that she dies because that's told in the opening what? like monologue like he basically is just like my love is dead and unless we think that oh maybe it's someone that, <laughs> besides the other leading actor in this film no she's still alive she just gave me a vd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well probably consumption uh because yeah, that, that i thought that, that, that that's it, a medi- note. i thought that early on was just like she obviously has like tuberculosis like they're not even making this subtle like right. very early on like you know like oh okay she's dying yeah but everyone is like an idiot because when they when the doctor tells him she has consumption he's like what she has consumption that's my jim Bradman. <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> like um yeah, Brabin, uh, w- one of the great things uh, that he did in this film, possibly my favorite thing of his, um, was when he was the George Melier moon uh, in the background of, I think it was the Your Song That segment. wasn't him. That was They made it look like him. That was the guy who was his... So he sings throughout the whole movie, except for in Like a Virgin at the end of the song when he goes up really high. Yeah. That's not him. That is a, um, uh Italian opera singer. It, it's it's his face though, right? No, they made him look like Jim Broadbent. They just gave him. They oh have like a very God. similar face. I so, never thought I would hear that concept in my life. That they're like, okay, we need someone to look like Broadbent right here. Uh, you're gonna be a moon. Uh, let's hire this Italian dude. He well, can sing it. Jim Broadbent pulled out his back because of the fat suit he was wearing. Like he's wearing a fat suit because if you see Jim Broadbent, like he, yeah, he kind of looks like he's a big guy, but he's not. He he's just stocky. He. Yeah, but it's not unheard of for people to like gain weight and stuff for for roles. But yeah, that's that's absurd that he was actually wearing like that absurd a fat suit that that it broke his back. Yeah, <laughs> like well, it he was fine when he was just standing around. It was when he was doing um the the beginning number the. I'm just the ending. 
like basically that scene from when the music starts <laughs> to the end of um like was it your song or no it was the end of the pitch basically okay. that whole thing was one exhausting piece there is very little in the way of that, a musical break in there. That was like an Alejandro interview too, like a long take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just feel, I feel like um, Jim Broadman and like everyone in this movie is like doing their best. However, inside you can see them dying. Like they're like, what did we sign on for? This movie is going to tank. It's going to be awful well especially nicole kidman because basically she just had to walk around acting like an idiot like barking like a dog and then occasionally just like show her crotch for like close-ups yeah i okay so i don't i don't find nicole kidman attractive i don't like in this movie i didn't think she was sexy like to me she looked like someone's mom like <laughs> like someone's mom was like i want to have a secret life <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna do it at the moulin rouge <laughs> and like also the barking and, yes and um was jim broadman watching her get changed when they were doing like the where's the duke like she's getting naked right like when they're yeah but but i mean it's it's it establishes itself throughout the movie that um he, he's a french dandy right uh no well i possibly uh i was just gonna say more that uh he he watches her a lot of times when he shouldn't be because uh, later on, it shows him like with a like a periscope type oh, thing, like right. looking into her window. How great would have it have been if you just hear him go, like every time he says, "Oh no," it just made me laugh. Like when he's spying on her and sees her and Christian, he goes, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, like he's a weird hybrid of like a uh, Ringling brother, like. Like like P.T. Barnum. Yeah. He's this weird P.T. Barnum and Mrs. Doubtfire hybrid. Because, <laughs> like, all of all of his lines is, like, he needs to be serious. And he's like, you have consumption, you're dying. <laughs> she wants to be fresh. She wants to be pure. She wants to be virgin. <laughs> like, how can he go from, like, being, like, a father figure to her to being, like, this over-the-top he he uh Jim Broadman in an interview even said like yes Harold Ziegler is a French dandy. I was like okay. <laughs> There's better ways to say that sort of thing, but okay. I would say he's a man in a top hat who is over the top, but yeah. Yeah, um so a a a kind of a personal tragedy that I have is that um I I did not know that this uh recording was going to be a possibility. Uh, because back in September, I was physically at Moulin Rouge, and I had the ability to actually go inside and see what it was actually like. Oh, wow. Uh, but my wife and I chose not to. Uh, but I did use uh, a really cool public toilet uh, across the street from it to, um, to and defecate. And you got consumption? <laughs> I got consumption. And um, it was this really weird public toilet thing that like sprayed itself down with like <laughs> bleach and water between every use. <laughs> all right thanks for uh visiting us <laughs> yeah so like you leave and you hear all this like it sounds like a dishwasher inside <laughs> and you go in and everything's like slightly damp and it was probably one of the, like the top five strangest places i've uh, done a number two <laughs> um so i have in here so we're gonna take that away from them like that's referring to like every time there's a famous song that was made famous by someone like Nat King Cole or the Hills Are Alive, the Rogers and Hammerstein. I just have, okay, so we're going to take that away from them. <laughs> and then I have that again for the, the Elton John. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, your song? Yeah, like, the whole mistaken identity between, like, the Duke and the 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 uh, Christian, like... Yeah. Like, how dumb is she? Like... I mean, to be fair, what is the difference between a Duke and uh, a boy who just escaped? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, if you look at Richard Roxburgh's character, and honestly, I know he's supposed to be the bad guy, and there are times when I don't... F- I feel bad for him. Carson Kressley? Yes. Uh, why? Okay, so, like, in the beginning, when when he's like, oh, she's enchanting, <laughs> and, and like, he, he's just an idiot, but when, when <laughs> like, he loses my respect when he's like, it's my stuff, don't touch my things, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then there are times he's like, hello, my sweet. I think it's just because he reminded me of, like, Tim Curry, or, like, I have in here, he's, like, very Nigel Thornberry. Yeah, he is, I think the thing with him is that um, he is idiot in a position of real power and he's pathetic like yeah he's just he's just got nothing going on um and he's he somehow has like money and influence uh probably like his parents like kept the money in through generations of inbreeding and he is the end (laughs) result of it and he comes out and he's just like i think I, i don't think deep down he's like a bad person i don't think he's intending to be a bad person even though he does horrible things i right. think that's more of just a result of him like not knowing what's going on because he is so dumb did your he, skin crawl every time he sang um like mm. when when he's like it's a little bit funny <laughs> <laughs> this feeling inside oh stop singing um Nah, I mean I've 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 heard worse than him. Well, when when uh, Nicole Kidman is basically repeating uh, Ewan McGregor's words and they're yeah. playing charades, like the yeah. worst game of charades ever, I was like, how does she know what he's doing? Because like this isn't Hyde, this is Peekaboo. <laughs> so, I'm not one of those who can easily Peekaboo. Like like I would have loved <laughs> Hyde. I mean Hyde. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, through that whole bit, um, I did get one genuine belly laugh, um, and that was when, uh... The movie ended. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, when you and busted into, uh, I Will Always Love You, um, solid belly laugh from Chaboy on that one. Well, that, that entire medley, the love medley of, like, him taking away songs, like him doing, um, uh, All You Need Is Love, and In The Name Of Love, and, Mm -hmm. um love lift us up like it was like yeah i saw that coming but it also reminded me of have you heard of garfunkel and notes is a medley of really bad love songs uh i haven't heard it i i know garfunkel and notes so yeah. i will definitely check it out so so they do like this medley of of bad love songs and that that's what this this felt like because <laughs> these are all like really bad love songs and it proved it when they go People say we had enough of silly love songs. I was like, great. Now they're gonna they they desecrated two Beatles, <laughs> John and Paul. What next, Ringo? <laughs> um, yeah, I have a note here for uh, shortly after. Oh, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, no, never mind. I, I take that back. I, I saw a note about Johnny Legs, but it wasn't important or relevant. Um, <laughs> I could talk about Johnny Legs all day. <laughs> yeah, I can too, and I feel like for that reason, we should we should try to avoid it and maybe keep that to the end. Well, okay, so. I just want to go back to when I said he reminded me of a little kid. When this movie came out, I used to um, do karate and sparring and kickboxing. And there was a kid who looked exactly like John Leguizamo, minus the goatee. But he looked exactly like John Leguizamo in this movie. So when I saw this movie and I saw that kid at karate, I was like, say, how do you do? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, like when they introduce Johnny Legs and uh, when when Christian is doing his, he's supposed to be writing a really sad story, but the way he writes it, he's like, and then uh, a young dwarf came in. How do you do? My name is Tur- uh, Henri. He- yeah, no, it's peppered with jokes. <laughs> but but he's supposed to be writing this really sad story about how he lost the love of his life, and then he's like, and then this happened. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's sitting there, like, crying to himself in his blue-filtered room at the typewriter um, across the street from the ruins of Moulin Rouge, which is never discussed. Yeah, like, so I, I would have loved to see a scene where the Duke just takes a Molotov cocktail and just throws it was, out the window. I was expecting that, because it showed him walking away from it at the end. Uh, but no, just nothing happens. The place just, like... It looks like war torn, war torn like France. Right. Like it looks like something really bad happened to the entire city, not just Moulin Rouge. And we're to believe that when he started writing this, and Johnny Legs is singing Nature Boy at the beginning, that like months have gone by, right? Because he grew the beard and everything. Well, it, it must be because for Moulin Rouge to be in that state of disrepair, um, that can't happen overnight. But why was Toulouse Lautrec still in his sitar outfit? <laughs> why was he still in the makeup? Like. Uh, maybe, so maybe that's just kind of like his thing afterwards. Like that's his way of grieving about the whole situation is he just maintains. Like, um, just Johnny legs. We'll get back to him, but so many notes to get through. Um, I have, oh, okay. So when they're, when they introduce like the prostitutes dancing at the beginning to, Mm -hmm. um, uh, it smells like teen spirit. Oh God. Do you know how they got that? And it pisses me off. I'm guessing like Courtney Love. Courtney Love wanted to play Satine. And Boz Lerman oh, was like, no. Okay. And because he offered her the role of uh, uh, Betty Exposition prostitute, the one who was like, why would anyone fall in love with the yeah. penniless sitar? Yeah, he yeah. offered her that role and she's like, no, I want to play Satine. And he's like, no. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and so, so she's like, well, do you want to use Smells Like Teen Spirit still? And he's like, yes, please. That is such a weird exchange to have had happen in in our world i want to play this role no okay well then do you want legal rights to use smells like teen spirit in your film because she just wanted to be involved in the movie somehow yeah yeah, yeah. um so i i do not like smells like teen spirit uh it is a song i never need to hear again uh, i liked it when i was 11 or 12 and then i heard it about 50 million more times and I've gotten everything out of it that I'm going to and I honestly could go the rest of my life without ever hearing it There are it again. better Nirvana songs. Absolutely. Anything off of the Unplugged. Yeah, or even in though utero. It's all, even though it's all covers. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I found that distasteful. <laughs> I heard that and I'm like, this isn't right. Well, because it went from like Lady Marmalade to that and my wife said, okay, they have these poor hookers dancing. Where are the male gigolos? And I said, uh, gigolos. Are male, that they're they're the male version of a hooker, and she goes, "Yeah, where are they?" (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but yeah, like she had a point because you have these guys who are dressed like they're freaking uh, Fred Astaire. Oh yeah, yeah, all all the gents were dressed to the nines. Yeah, and and you have these poor hookers. We already established you have Chocolat, who is the French. Um, African American. Yeah, he's a French African American man, so they call him Chocolat, which obviously <laughs> is riddled with problems. <laughs> he's riddled. He probably has consumption too, but like, <laughs> I didn't mean he was riddled with problems. But go ahead. <laughs> he's like, you got problems. I'm property of Mr. Zidler. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like, why didn't they have the male prostitutes dancing? 
with with them like shouldn't they be like seducing like the if you have the dukes there like all of these royalty like who want the 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 female prostitutes wouldn't there be like old duchesses and like dames who'd be like ooh, there's a young man is that something that really happened though historically no one talks about it but yeah like like okay i mean yeah no i i see where you're going with that um chippendales yeah i feel like um it's a different movie i feel like that's a different movie from what we saw um and uh i think boz was trying to keep things on course yeah ewan mcgregor is the worst seductor ever (laughs) like well yeah because he like broke into someone's house to like tell them that he loves them that's not how you do that well well i love how he's like she she's already in like full mode when she mistakes him for the duke and he she's like uh, can I lie down? Do you want to lie down? He's like, I preferred standing up. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, to be to be fair to this film, which I don't know if I need to be. Don't um, do it, Chris. Don't. Well, he doesn't realize what's going on because he thinks that she is interested in his writing, not him. So he doesn't actually realize that um, anything sexual is going on. Again, because he was a captive for so long. So he doesn't understand <laughs> sex. Now I want to see like that father and son. The type prequel. Of, well, I want to see that musical number. It's not time to make a change. And he's just tying him up. <laughs> Settle down. Take it slowly. You're still young. I'm protecting you, son. Oh, God. Well, yeah, that is a dark prequel to this film. Um, Yeah. So so when he's doing his uh, his his seduction with his poetry and she's barking again <laughs> she barks too much in this movie yeah i mean she barks a lot um <laughs> but again yeah he thinks that she's like interested in getting his shit on stage so he's just like okay actors huh yeah that's i think that's kind of his attitude as opposed to like he thinks any sort of seduction is happening or she might be crazy or or what have you so my wife had a crush on young mcgregor when she was 13 years old when she saw this movie because of this film yeah because of the i mean it, that that makes sense he's all, electric in it all, all all of my friends who are girls same thing and it's the same exact scene it's as soon as he belts out my gift is my soul and this one's for you you can tell everybody that this is your song it may be quite simple but now that it's done hope you don't mind i hope you don't mind that i put down in words Mm -hmm. like when he starts doing your song and i was like Really? Because that's... N- no. <laughs> Even with the Come What May, like, all of his songs, when he sings, yeah, Ewan McGregor has a good voice, but he looks like he's in pain when he's singing. <laughs> yeah, no, he looks like he's, uh, like, he might have eaten something, like, really not good for him. Well, and apparently he's everyone had issues. food poisoning on the set of this. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that I bring that up, because that's kind of what it looked like <laughs> to me. Like, he was thinking about maybe, like... How much longer do I have until I can get to a bathroom? <laughs> like the the sweating, that wasn't fake. That was real. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty incredible. Like, like he was, they were all very sick. John Leguizamo talked about it in I think a Howard Stern interviewer. He's like, yeah, we were all sick. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just watched. Um, I watched. Uh, they just talked about it on how this get made. Um, a Melissa Joan Hart, Mario Lopez. Oh, yeah, yeah, the holiday, holiday in handcuffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. Apparently, there was food poisoning, or there was like a flu going through the cast, and that and uh, they were sweating throughout. Melissa Joan Hart brought her one-year-old son who had the Norwalk virus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, the children in the film, as well as the uh, elderly people, all suffered the worst. So they're all very visibly sweating throughout. Uh, also, how is Heroes a love song? David Bowie's Heroes. That's not a love song. I always thought it was a love song. I thought it was a love song in like... It was like an us versus the world sort of. Yeah, but I I feel like that's a David Bowie style love song. I don't like... <laughs> like, like if I was making a mix for a girl in high school, I would not include Heroes by David Bowie. <laughs> like you have some In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, maybe... But you you don't think Berlin Trilogy Bowie is like immediately the place to go for that? Yeah, because because when because when I'm a twelve year old boy making a mix CD for a girl, I want the thin white Duke. So do you think that that was the goal here? Um, because again, he is um, he is hostage boy who is now free. Um, so he's basically got the mentality of a twelve year old, um, and he thinks that I mean that does make sense because he's like never been in love. Well, yeah, th- this entire movie is like. First off, this movie saved the movie musical, which, thank you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we've had so many fine films since then. But it also introduced the jukebox musical, which I can't stand. Like, There hasn't been a good one yet. No. Um, I mean, <sighs> this is actually coming to Broadway. It came to Boston first. The actual, they turned this into a stage production, and... Um, it's it's becoming a Broadway show. Now, I feel like they missed a step. I feel like Boslerman should have done that first. Yes. Then make this a movie. Well, I and, mean, this is this is the world in which we live. <laughs> um Yeah, so I have I'm sorry, but to me Nicole Kidman is just someone's mom. Oh wait. She's Australian. The Australian director Huh, I'm saying mom wrong. I should say mum. <laughs> that's what I have written down. So she, that's interesting. She, uh, He probably went intentionally to like get an Aussie for this. He's just like, oh yeah, we need one of our locals. <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of accent that was, but it's, it's how Buzz like, Lerman talks. That was like a Scottish-Irish brogue mix. Yeah. <laughs> um, so originally, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones was approached for Satine, and Heath Ledger w- wanted to play Christian. That would have been a very different movie, right? He would have got his Australian in there, yeah. <laughs> just, just a, just a different one. The bread and the bread and the Aussie would have been reversed. Yep. Um, however, he made a Knight's Tale instead, which smart move, Heath. <laughs> I think that was the better choice. Yeah, probably. Um, so then, like the list went on. Um, once again, Neil Patrick Harris gets brought up again. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris was also considered for. Both Christian and Toulouse Lautrec. Russell Crowe was approached to be Christian. Interesting. If anything, I would have loved to see Russell Crowe as uh, Zidl- as Ziggler. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been funny having Russell Crowe in the lead in this because, um, again, this is supposed to be a tragedy, but it's really a comedy um, throughout the bulk of the film. Like there are jokes, there are cartoon sound effects. Uh, so seeing Russell Crowe have to like put on like his funny man outfit and like try to like actually get some yucks would have been pretty good because he is not a funny person. The hills are alive. 
Oh, come on. He can sing better than that. He sings better than that with his, his band 40 Odd Foot Grunts. That's what they're called? Yep. Ugh. 40 Odd Foot Grunts. Fair. No, Jake Gyllenhaal was the final one on that list. And uh, Kate Winslet and Drew Barrymore for Satine. Drew Barrymore is Satine. It's, so this is interesting all around because for both of those characters, there is a wide range of ages. Oh, yeah. They're just like, we don't care. We need a male and a female. Get in whoever the fuck you can because we need. We just need We need bodies. We need bodies in these roles, and we need them now. And there's there's some other things that, that like, I, the one thing that I laughed at in this movie is when the Duke meets Satine for the first time, and he says, a kiss on the hand, maybe continental and she just laughs and goes because diamonds are a girl's best friend that's like when you go up to uh mark hamill at like a convention and you're like i am your father or may the force be with you and he's like oh, may the force be with you too like, <laughs> like when in, when you go up to a celebrity and yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to say their line like the look she gave him was like oh, fuck you <laughs> um i had a note here um <clears throat> act two the lovers are discovered and I just had a note next to it that said Chekhov's act title. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, like all of the, the foreshadowing um, play within the play stuff, like, th- this movie should just, have, it shouldn't be Moulin Rouge. It should be called Self-Fulfilling Destiny because because they even lay out when they're doing the dun-dun-dun-dun for the Duke yeah. exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> because they're like, then they get discovered. Then this happens. <laughs> and I was like, I have my next note is, fuck this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a bit later on uh, when they decide that she should try to convince uh, McGregor that she doesn't love him. Um, and what I really enjoyed about that was, um, I think it was Toulouse, or no, it wasn't Toulouse, it was uh, Ziggler, who is like, unless he believes you don't love him. And she responds with like, what? <laughs> and it's just this weird Gollum-esque sort of like tone to her voice. See, if she's been barking the whole movie, she should have just done a... <laughs> yeah, the Tim Allen. I mean, her throat's got to be killing her between like all the barking and, you know, the, 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 the coughing up the blood and the singing and, you know, the dying. She got hurt because when she came in, I guess she fell off. She was harnessed, but she did fall off the swing one of the times. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it didn't look like there was proper safety equipment there. So oh. if she went down, then... Well, but she actually was harnessed in on a extra harness from that. Oh, okay. But I guess the the swing went too fast, and her her harness wasn't going the same speed, oh, so geez. she just went. Ah! Yeah, so she was kind of like pulled in two directions. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Uh, what if that's how they introduced her? They just kept that take. Like, Bob, oh, should we God. do that? <laughs> should we do that again? No, it's perfect. Yeah, just open it up with um, like a Suspiria remake-esque sort of <laughs> physical scene there. <laughs> a Suspiria remake? You mean like Suspiria, the remake? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, no, no that, I was specifically referring to that. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's uh, there's some pretty good uh, body dis- dislocation sorts of things oh, yeah. happening in that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just having a scene like that open up this movie, introduce you to the love interest <laughs> would have been far more interesting than what happened. My love is dead because she's a klutz. Um how dirty did you feel after the like a virgin scene? Uh, I did not care for that. Uh, I did not care for that at all. Uh, it bothered me a lot, and I'd rather not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> As I said before, anytime uh, Carson Kressley, Nigel Thornberry, Richard Roxburgh sings a song, I got so uncomfortable and so upset. Now, was that the time that he started walking around with like the creepy monster hands? Um. 
There was one point where he did that, and that no, was probably the dirtiest I felt in this. In that this was in the the Tango de Roxanne, which is surprisingly that's the only scene I really actually like in the movie is when they do the Roxanne Tango. Oh, I had a I had a scene I liked too. Actually, might as well get that out in the open. Um, I liked when Principal Strickland was getting beaten uh, before doing a walk like an Egyptian dance. Oh, um, when he takes the tambourine and he's just yeah, like, yeah, and he's like, all right, I'm a part of the show and I'm not trying to get my gun at all. Yeah, I like that too because because like how happy because like I guess the conductor, his entire orchestra has to be filled with bald men, <laughs> which they they set up and they never address again. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm fu- I'm fine with it. It gave me that one scene and uh, I genuinely really enjoyed watching that. It was actually fun. Yeah, I actually liked the tango Roxanne. I liked the Roxanne where he's like Roxanne. <laughs> Everyone should have been taking a shot because you would have been so wasted. But um, yeah, no, I actually liked that scene and I loved how the Argentinian was like, "Never fall in love with a woman who sells herself." That's good advice. <laughs> Thank you. Um. There were a lot of interesting things involving size and uh, distance in this film. Uh, first off, just this is like a, a nitpicky thing, but um, Paris in it is not accurate in oh, any way, shape, and form. No way in hell. Yeah, um, like no, no, no. You don't look at the Eiffel Tower and then get there from there. Like it, it's 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 all wrong. It's like Kubrick's Overlook Hotel. Uh, <laughs> just it makes no geographical sense. The only difference is Kubrick did that on purpose. <laughs> well, I'm sure this was done on purpose too. Like, oh, the idiots won't know the difference. Um, but the other thing is, whenever like a gun went flying or hats went in the air, um, things got all out of whack because you would have things like the gun would go 400 feet. When the gun hit the Eiffel Tower, I was like, I'm out. Yeah, so that's a great example right there. And the other is during the uh, intro bit, during the uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit part, when everyone throws their hats in the air, it pulls out and you see Moulin Rouge from across the street. And you see, like, three hats come up, but based on the size of everything there, those are, like, enormous hats. Did Wayne Zielinski take his shrinking blow-up? Honey, I blew up the three hats. <laughs> Honey, I blew up the Moulin Rouge. Uh, also, question for you as a music connoisseur and a fan of, you know, everything that is music-related. Uh the show must go on. That's a song written by Freddie Mercury. That's about him dying of AIDS, right? Uh, if, if if I remember correctly, yes. It's his final song, and it's a somber note. And the way they use it in this movie... Yeah, no, this is like basically, oh, she can't know she's dying, um, so let's, let's just keep it from her. Yeah. And... Instead of an acknowledgement, it's the opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> And not not just that, um, my wife said to me, she's like, yeah, but you know that Freddie Mercury would have loved this movie. And I was like, God damn it, you're right, but I don't want to admit that. On and on, does anybody know what we are living for? The show must go on. The show must go on. Outside, the dawn is breaking on the stage that holds our final destiny. I don't think Freddie Mercury would have loved this movie. I think that 
um, he would have liked the idea of this movie. And I think that if Freddie Mercury had an EP credit on a film like this with a different director, uh, he probably could have done something a lot more competent with it and actually made he like, would a have decent been jukebox. He would have been Ziggler. Probably, yeah. yeah. And he could have, I think, with Freddie Mercury having some creative input, we could probably have had a decent jukebox musical. Yeah. Just, once again, everything is all over the place. The way, the, they don't finish songs. And that's, I always hated that. Because they go into one song and then they go into another. The love medley, the the Lady Marma spirit, I'm going to call it. Yep. Just went back and forth, back and forth between different songs. Finish a damn song. Just finish a song. <laughs> Pick a song, go with it, and finish it. Finish the goddamn song. Um I had a, this is a, again, I'm, I'm going into the movie with a slightly critical eye, uh, which Good, probably that's why we should be here. doing. That's why you're here. Um, so Carson Kressley, um, in front of a full theater of people. Pulls a gun. Pulls a gun and tries to kill someone. He then, at the end of it, turns and walks out. No one tries to stop the man who no longer has a gun, who has tried to kill someone, He's he's just allowed to leave. They're just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess uh, he, he didn't had get a bad day. <laughs> yeah, he had a bad day. So let's let's let that guy just get away with his attempted murder. Um. Well, he's a duke. He can get away with whatever he wants. Also, um, Minnie How- Mimi killed the guy when she dropped the sandbag on on his bodyguard hitman on Strickland. Yeah. 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 That guy's dead. <laughs> Yeah, he probably wouldn't survive. Although, again, this is a cartoon, so God only knows. Like, he probably pulled like a fucking like baseball bat out of his back pocket and like swung it and <laughs> hit it away. Like, God he, only knows what's going on in this fucking universe if, because if, this is not our universe. If he, pulled, if he pulled an anvil or a mallet out of his out of his pocket, I would have liked this movie a lot. <laughs> like, if he did a Roger Rabbit style. <laughs> oh, uh, question for you: mm-hmm. uh, When you saw like Wazama wearing clown makeup, what did you think of? Um, at first, okay, I gotta admit, I didn't realize it was a Legosplan like Wasamo <laughs> at first. Like, the first time I saw it, like, but I I kind of, I thought of Krusty the Clown. Oh, okay. Yeah, why? Uh, first thing I thought of was Spawn, uh, where oh, he played Clown. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that that was probably my second thought, too. Speaking of um, debilitating body suits. <laughs> Well, that's just another example of of John, Johnny Legs transforming himself and being like the best thing. Yeah, best part of uh, a, a very bad situation. Right. Um, and here, him, him and Broadbent are once again the best. And I, I just feel like they get overshadowed. I would have loved to see like a buddy cop movie with their characters, like like he's trying to produce at the Moulin Rouge and and. Uh, Z- Ziggler's trying to find benefactors. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you could creatively edit this film to create a short um, that follows the two of them and actually has a coherent plot because they're in this a lot and they have a lot of lines. Um, there might be some weird, unexpected costume changes as you do edits to make it all fit together and work, but I, I think you could do that. Yeah, I mean, once again, Johnny Legs is their child. <laughs> like even, <laughs> even when he introduces himself... Um, Growing up, I had a friend who had a cousin who was way more adult than he should have. And he said things like toodles and toodaloo and how do you do? Yeah. <laughs> and like I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's this kid. And it's Toulouse-Lautrec. Because they, they didn't treat him like the, the genius 
artist that Toulouse-Lautrec was, they they treat him like a horny, drunken child. Well, that's, yeah, that's basically what he's used for, which that's, to me, is why it's so strange that they base this off of a real person, because they use nothing about him except for the fact that he was a little person. Right. That was the only basis, and that he was Argentinian, and the latter of which is the only thing they kept bringing up about him. It was his ethnicity. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yes, and our uh, Argentinian Argentinian, like well, basically, there were Argentinian. two Argentinians. There, there was Toulouse, and then there was the art narcoleptic Argentinian, which kill me. Like that guy, I hated that guy. Yeah, if there is, uh, if there is a drinking game for this film, which I'm sure exists out there, um, if the word Argentinian is not on it, please just go ahead and add it because that really should be, uh, should be on there. Well, also when when uh, they're going through with the Duke with. Um, and this is what the play is going to be like. And Johnny Legs is like, and I'll be the sitar. And he goes, I only speak the truth. You are beautiful. You are ugly. And you are. And they cut him off before he says anything about the Duke. Like, he's a child. He's yeah. a little boy. And when they actually are doing the musical, um, and he does his, I only speak the truth. I only speak the truth and they do the ending song of the movie mm-hmm. of the of the play. Do you get the the Simpsons vibe of streetcar name design? <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you say depended on the kindness of strangers. You can always depend on the kindness of strangers to buck up your spirit and shield you from dangers. Now here's a tip from friends you won't regret. A stranger's just a friend you haven't met. You haven't met. Sweet heart. You can always depend on the, the kindness, kindness of strangers. Of strangers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, one thing we haven't discussed, and uh, I think Bear is uh, just at least mentioning, is I had a note that just says, why, Kylie? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have Kylie Minogue in here, too, well, as the absinthe fairy. Yes, yes, um, because that was at a point in her, like, her career has had a lot of ups and downs. Um, so in terms was... of, like, popularity. She was, she was doing well at that point, because that was around the time of, like, um, can't get you out of my that head was, and the was, other single that was a year later oh okay that was 2001 so at oh, this so point do you think that this was kind of what brought her back into the public right, consciousness right okay. so because this was 2000 2001 was when that came out and the only re- way that i remember that is a cognitive uh memory because that was the year of lord of the rings fellowship ian mckellen hosted snl and kylie minogue was the musical guest because okay. he said he would only host if Kylie Minogue was the uh, the musical guest. And if you watch her performances, Ian e. McKellen is in the corner sitting down watching her perform and he's just smiling at her, holding his knees like a child. <laughs> and, and, oh, that's very good. And that's how I remember that that was the rebirth of Kylie Minogue. I have a weird um, a weird bit of knowledge about her. This is one of the strangest things that I think you can know about her is that she caught the bouquet at the wedding of Daniel Johns from Silverchair and uh, Natalie Imbruglia. 
Man, I'm torn with that information. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> oh, man. Anna's song. <laughs> Deep cut. <laughs> I saw Silverchair live. I wanted to. Um, back in, like, 2007, they played the Paradise, and it sold out. I saw them open for... Uh, Blink-182? Blink-182. Yeah. It was them, uh, uh, Phoenix TX, and Blink-182, and... Um, uh, the, my friend who I was with kept making anorexia jokes because yeah, because because Daniel of Anna, Johns had anorexia. Yeah, and I was like, I was looking at him. I was like, stop it! <laughs> like, because there there were a bunch of people who had like silver chair shirts and they were holding signs, and this kid was making these jokes. And I was like, I'm not with him. <laughs> Who's Scott? Stop saying my name. <laughs> I don't yeah. know who you are. Silverchair actually, um, that was their transition. They were touring behind um, Neon Ballroom for that tour. Mm -hmm. And that was literally their 50-50 transition because half of that album is actually fucking awesome. Yeah. And then half of it is garbage. Yeah. Um, their next two albums after that were both amazing. Like they actually became like a really, really good band. Uh, oh. Which is the only reason that I know that weird factoid because I was like reading something about them at the time. So Kylie Minogue, like, was she wearing her green absinthe fairy outfit while she was doing it? Uh, we can only assume so. Um, Kylie Minogue has had a very rough life. She has, yeah, because uh, yeah, she was dating Michael Hutchins when he mm. when he went the way of Carradine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but also she at that same time she uh, got diagnosed with breast cancer and she survived that. Jesus. Um, and then she also had to, you know, do the locomotion. <laughs> Too soon. Um, but yeah, like when, when she shows up and she's like, hi, I'm the absinthe fa 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 fairy. And uh, I turned to my wife, Haley, and I was like, do you think she loved doing this? And she's like, oh yeah. <laughs> because, because she's just like, um, she does the all aboard and she's just like screaming and she's just posing. And I was like, she probably got paid thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, and it, it couldn't have been more than a day's worth of work for her. Um, like they probably, maybe two, uh, one for like fitting and stuff like that. And then she probably the had to do some ADR. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a lot of work. And what she was doing seemed like it was actually probably pretty fun <laughs> and not too strenuous. So, see, see, what if that was just a movie? The absence. <laughs> fairy like that would have been like a great movie i would love to see the absinthe fairy when she's not working <laughs> so like you see her commute home you see her like sit down in front of <laughs> she, the tv she, she's in like a, a buick skylark or yeah, herself exactly. like she, please hurry up <laughs> she throws in like a swanson hungry man dinner into the microwave now she she seems like a lean cuisine type of gal yeah, probably. I don't know. It depends. Is it cheat day? And then she like comes home, like eats eats her meal in front of the TV. Uh, maybe like smokes a bowl or something. And, and then she gets a ding that someone's pouring absent. Oh, really? <sighs> the four hundred five is gonna be jammed. <laughs> yeah, that was floating dangerously close to that uh, Rick and Morty uh, real fake doors bit for me. Well, I, I made that joke with Lee on uh, for. When we talked about Emperor's New Groove, how the guy who gets turned into a cow, I want to see his story of of when he, him going home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that's the most interesting part of a lot of different movies out there. Uh, have you ever heard a podcast called uh, The Worst Idea of All Time? No. You should check it out. Okay. Um, it's these two New Zealand comedians who watch the same movie every week for a year and review it. So their first oh, season. Were they, were they the guys who did Grown Ups? Yes, they did Grown okay. Ups too for a year. 
Um, and by the end of it, like their brains can't focus on <laughs> the main action because they've seen it so many times. They start looking for new stimuli. So they start coming up with like stories for like background characters who appear for like three seconds in the course of the film. Uh, and that's and, far more interesting to me than anything Sandler's doing. In, in this movie, Kylie Minogue for the Moulin Rouge, I would love to see Ziggler's like day, like him with an old timey like um, adding machine, like trying to pay the bills to keep the Moulin Rouge going. Like <laughs> an uh, old timey adding machine that he's still somehow hunting and pecking on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay, we have to buy. Hundred pounds worth of corsets. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because they sell those by the pound. <laughs> Need to go to dollar a pound in Cambridge. <laughs> and and just uh, he, he's one of them. But also the Argentinian when he falls asleep, I would like to see his dreams like an inst- <laughs> Inception style. Yeah. Oh, that would be pretty good. That would be a crossover that we never knew we needed. But uh, here we are. Yeah. So. As we come to the end of this, how many? Oh, uh, what else you uh, drove you crazy about this movie? You know, not a lot drove me crazy. Um, the the speeding up and slowing down of film drove me crazy. But I, I think a lot of that, along with like the um, the blatant green screens, I think a lot of that was just because this film um, really is a great example of a movie that did not make the transition to HD gracefully. No. Um, this there are things that are out of focus. Um, you can blatantly see where green screens um, begin and end. Um, all the different things that they did to like speed up or slow down or reverse film, like it's very visible. Watching it on my TV, I notice like the grain and like the the pixelation a lot. Yeah, yeah, it it did not age well um, for that. I mean, it didn't handle the transition to HD very well. Um, I, to the point where I wonder if they actually did a proper transfer of this, or if I don't they just, think they did. They may not have because I, I think that it actually probably suffered an unrealistic amount. Um, and the one thing that that we talk about a lot on the podcast is the Disney style romance. Like, we didn't really tap on that with Christian and Satine. Like, they they see each other, they have their song, then they fall in love right away, and it's so unrealistic. And I understand it's a movie, but He's never been in love, and she's... Yeah, he's been in the tower the whole time. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bluebeard. Uh, yeah, he's never been in love. Maybe he's not in love. Maybe he just has a boner. <laughs> like, I think that that is... Uh, I think there is a lot of validity to that theory in this. Um, because, again, he doesn't know what love is. He doesn't know what sex is or any of that stuff. Uh, he, he's 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 a tower boy, and he, he's he, kind of like Coach Steve on Big Mouth. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's you, you can't really expect too much from a tower boy. Uh, tower boys, like they they mean well, but they're simple, and um, it's it's of no fault of their own. It's yeah. just part of being a tower boy. And, and after a while, I just felt bad for him, and he was he was kind of like a petulant child after a while because he's like, "You're gonna sleep with him." Well, yeah, like he doesn't understand. Uh, uh, the Duke has the deed to the Moulin Rouge. He could ruin everything for everyone. And and he's like, well, but we're in love. Yeah, well, people need money. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think he really has a concept of money either. And we can blame the tower on that. Uh, because uh, actually, here's a big question. Where does his money come from? He has He has an apartment. Right. Honestly, I think that his father was rich and I think he just stole his dad's money. Yeah, so maybe he uh, he killed his dad and took the money, or he was being held captive in the money bin, 
and he took like a big bag with a dollar sign, <laughs> like filled it, and then took off. Or, or if it's like the Scrooge McDuck, you know, thing. He took a giant sack, and then he swam to the bottom, and he pulled out the plug, <laughs> and him and the money went sliding down, and he just got more and more bags. So, so by the time he finally got to France, because I'm guessing that this this tunnel tube drain goes from London directly to France, and it just spits him out. Yeah, in right this to Montmartre. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So so he so basically I'm I'm guessing that in his uh, closet it's just filled with money like like in the mask when he robs the bank and the closet's okay. filled with Okay. Okay. So uh, if we're following this line of thought <laughs> then the father clearly knows exactly where he is. So either one of two things are happening um, for the events of this film in which in the time that in which they take place to, uh, actually work out so we know that he arrives in france the events of this film occur and then a year later he is writing the story so for the father to know where he is but not reach him by the time he's writing the story we can assume one of two things his dad's satine possibly either that or he's crawling down the tube at the bottom of the money bin and he is physically like just crawling all the way to france and he's stuck or like he died halfway through he could have died halfway through or he is going by foot and by like boat like he is just like walking He's traveling by map yeah exactly he's just like literally like there's only one way i can do this moving right along (laughs) sir do you want to to take a carriage no i must do this my way and he like he just sits out on foot you hear like fucking salisbury hill playing in the background as he approaches a rowboat at the end of the english sea and like starts rowing to france (laughs) or or uh you hear the shining music and he has an axe in his hand (laughs) (laughs) Or he's traveling on a bike and it's like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I was thinking uh, Great Muppet Caper when Kermit's feet are like tied to the bike. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, so, yeah, that that's my biggest problem in this movie. It has a Disney romance um, and they don't have great chemistry. I, I mean, Ewan McGregor has great chemistry with anyone and he doesn't have great chemistry with her. Like, I don't believe these two would ever be attracted to each other. I buy you and McGregor's side of things. Um, yeah. She seems less interested. Right. Well, the best example is when they're going through the play and she looks at him and gives him a look and then she, the Duke is giving her a dirty look and she got, gives a fake smile to him. Uh, she gives him kind of the same smile. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, she's she's an actress, which is a fancy way of saying hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, shit. That's. I think that's about all I got. Um, on this particular venture, there was there was nothing else in my notes. So anyway. you never saw this when it came out? No, I saw this for the first time uh, like two weeks ago. I am so sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fine. It's uh, uh, it's it's something that uh, I'm I'm glad I have seen. I'm glad I can make the did, cultural did your references brain to it. <laughs> you know, I've seen a lot worse. I've seen a lot less entertaining. This this was fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's yeah. fine. I just, I never understood why, like, I always was the bad guy with my friends because I was like, this movie is horseshit. Like, like for, for the year that it came out, like, the movies that were nominated um, and that it got snubbed, like, Hurricane got snubbed over this with Denzel. I think that this film is probably one of the fastest examples culturally that we have of the Mandela effect taking hold. Uh, because it seems like a lot of people immediately remembered this movie as being very good uh, when it wasn't. I saw, like, it, it just. And Sinbad was in this movie too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I just, I didn't understand why this was such a phenomenon. And I don't understand how it got nominated for all the awards that it got and all the acclaim that it got. And not just that, I mean, it's baffling that that the stuff it won awards for, yeah, set design, makeup, costumes, yeah, whatever, you can keep that, it's fine. Um, yeah. But the, 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 the fact that it would be nominated for Best Picture... They consider this a best picture? Yeah, that's, I mean, the the Academy Awards um, are bullshit. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I hate to be the one to actually bring this up, but. I mean, I, I like the Oscars. <laughs> I like watching it every year. Um, You know, being a film critic, I, that's the stuff I like. Um, But I have been noticing the recent trend where, like, the movies that I feel should have got awards get snubbed, like Lion, the year that that was nominated. It won nothing, and it was the best film of that year. Um, yeah, just like Hereditary is going to get snubbed this year, even though it has one of the best dramatic performances I like, think, in recent I memory. I think Tony Collette will get nominated. You think? I think, because um, they pointed out, because of Get Out, Get Out paved the way for horror movies to actually... Yeah, of course, because that was definitely one of the best musicals or comedies uh, of that year. So that's why they nominated it. <laughs> that is the that is the category it was nominated in. Um, for the Golden Globes, yes, yes. For the Oscars, there is no comedy thing, but it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. So so yeah. Um, but with this, this is not a good movie. The story is awful. The pacing is all over the place, um, and the dialogue. Half of it is stolen from other people's works. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, there's there's not a lot that's new on the table here. Uh, it's 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 not reinventing the wheel in any way, shape, or form. But I think that that's kind of what it had going for it. It was it was the first real jukebox musical out there. Um, so if it had a crazy original plot, I think that might have been a detriment to the way people saw it. So it was it was the familiar, so that they could in quote unquote enjoy the new. Yeah. So uh, as we always do. Out of 13 bagels, how many were taken out and how much is left? So you take them out if it's bad, you keep them in if it's, if it's good. Um, six, Baker's dozen. 6.5. 6.5. Wow, that's higher than I'm going to do, 5.5. Yeah, now, like I said, I think this film um, succeeds in a lot of what it was trying to do, even if what it was trying to do was not good. Yeah. I think, I think the goals were reached. It's split right down the middle Yeah. Um, for you. For me, it's a little under the bar. Um, so thank you for coming on. I appreciate you letting us use your studio. Oh, no problem. <laughs> um, and next time, we are doing uh, another snub. So we did one that we couldn't believe got nominated. So we are doing, if you want to watch, uh, we're doing Snowpiercer. Because for me, that was the film of 2014. It was my favorite film of that year. It didn't get nominated for anything. <laughs> It got nominated for, uh, it won the AARP Award for Best Actress for Tilda Swinton. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, you can watch that on Vudu. Hulu uh, has it for now. Amazon Prime definitely has it for you to rent, and you can uh, rent it on iTunes as well. So, uh, Chris, thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, until next time, I'm Scott Carlin. Bye. Bye.